And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for this morning, a man fresh back from New Orleans, probably with some exciting things to tell us. Please welcome Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Thank you, Sandra. Or they don't say New Orleans, they say New Orleans. Welcome, New Orleans. Would you like that deep fried? No, thanks. All right. So I'd like to invite you to uh, sing a song and say a prayer with me. If you'd like to stand, please feel free. If not, stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room so I invite you to know with me one life spirit's life Everywhere in general, nowhere in particular. But I know as I choose it, it chooses me. And it becomes very particular. So I direct this inner knowing and this inner guidance and this inner life to permeate all that I am, all that we are. Everywhere present. Animating, instructing, resourcing, supporting us and guiding us in the right and perfect ways. Each and every moment. That which I don't know in this moment, something within me does know. And I trust and move and have my being in that divine relationship. And so I just give thanks. All is good. All is right. Everything necessary for you and I to make the right decision in this moment is here now. And so living that intentional life, living and knowing who we are and whose we are, I give thanks. Our success is this moment. Our success is now. Nothing to gain, nothing to earn, but simply the recognition. For this I give thanks for this beautiful celebration, for the beautiful music, for the vibration of the Most High that we immerse ourselves in by coming together, I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you, Brown. It's great to be back. It just, uh, you don't realize how much you miss it till you go away, maybe. But we have a unique... We have a unique community, and, um, it, and we don't want to make it special. I have a wonderful book uh, called Mindful Loving here by Dr. Henry Grayson. And I picked it up because this month is our month about love, and I wanted to share it because then I'll tell you a little bit about New Orleans. But there's a, there's a section in the beginning where he's talking about one of the, one of the near enemies. The Buddhists would call, um, they have a practice, and, and they call it the near enemies. And one of the near enemies that we can fall into, and I, I watch it in 
my relationship with in, in life. So maybe you can relate to this, but it's, it's called specialness. So when I say we have a unique community, I don't mean it's special because every community is unique. But specialness, and I think this is just such an insight, is that when we appoint someone as special, so your minister's special or your spouse is special, we t- which we tend to think of as good or positive notion or action, we set into motion a chain of potential outcomes that create unrealistic expectations, easy for you to say, and inevitable disappointments. Consider a familiar sequence in romantic relationship. We fall in love and are ecstatic about the perfect mate who is so special and who will now light up our lives. As in the theme of so many popular songs, we may believe that it is the marriage made in heaven and will remain so forever. Yet after the brain chemical, uh, phenol, bunch of letters, uh, (laughs) fades, after it fades which usually takes six months to two years, we often feel disillusioned and betrayed. The other person has not lived up to the template we superimposed upon him or her of what we expect the other person to be. Most relationships either break up at this time or they enter into a struggle to try to reform the other person. Many people fall in resentment and anger because their partner will not change. While only a small percentage of couples will use this opportunity to give love without expectation or judgment. However, the great majority of us never free up our love. One reason for the high divorce rate. About one half of us within five years of marriage or commitment walk away from our relationship in disappointment or anger, having begun to view our partners as enemies or deprivers. And he goes on. It's very interesting, but I've seen the pattern. So the reason I wanted to read that with you is we just got married here a couple weeks ago. Our organizations just came together. I was in New Orleans, and and really what it was was a marriage of the two separate. So over 50 years ago, there was a split within our movement. And from, from that, you may care, you may not, but it kind of builds on what I'm going to talk about. We had the United Centers for Spiritual Living and uh, Interna- uh, Religious Science International, which was our group. And we went through all this reintegration, and so now we're one organization called Centers for Spiritual Living. So there's no more international, there's no more united. And so one of, the, one of my awarenesses about this is that I, and one of my prayers is that we never consider one another special so that we don't have to go through that relationship, so that in a couple of years we're not disappointing one another by setting one another up as special, because we're unique and we all have great gifts and talents. But that idea of specialness can be something that can be a, a near enemy that we can fall into. What I think has happened is that we've, we've entered into a sacred alliance together. The two organizations, I remember Dr. David Walker, Dr. David Walker saying a number of years ago, it's not so important that we get back together as so much as that we're both healthy. And so I think what we've entered into is a sacred alliance whose purpose is to help both partners discover and realize their deepest potentials. And as a movement, I believe that's what we stand for. We're here to help one another realize our deepest potentials. We're here to enrich people's lives, our own and others, through spiritual awakening. And so I want to talk a little bit about New Orleans. I went to New Orleans, and uh, I received a 15-year pin there. My 15-year pin is 15 years of ministry, which is nice in the organization. I'll never get another one from International if I live another five years and get another pin for 20 years. um, It'll be from Centers for Spiritual Living. Uh, The center received a uh, a 30-year certificate for 30 years of service to uh, Centers for uh, Spiritual Living. When we were there, we had to pass 14 resolutions, which we did. 
So we passed 14 revolution, resolutions. So the, we met in separate rooms. We had to pass the, the uh, resolutions as two different organizations, which allowed us then to come together as one and vote collectively. And we elected officers. So Dr. Ken Gordon is our new spiritual leader. Uh, he's in Kelowna, and I know many of you know Dr. Ken, and, and he's been here to speak with us. He actually wants to come in the next couple of months and celebrate uh, his... He, got a, he's, he has a double doctorate, which I didn't know you could be a do- double doctor. And uh, my doctorate, he wants to do that here with us. So I said, that'd be great. We'll see what we can do. So Dr. Ken was, was installed as our new spiritual leader. He is, succeeds uh, Dr. Kathy Hearn. Um, Dr. John Waterhouse is our new president, and then we elected a... Um, leadership council and on that leadership council are three ministers three practitioners three lay people and the way it worked was that the top vote getter so we were given designations and I don't know how they worked this out but the United uh, the United the international people which is our group got the first position so whoever got the most votes in our our group became the first position of minister on the leadership council and then the second position was filled by someone from the United Group. So there was a balance for the, of, the, of the cultures. And then the third position was whoever got the third most votes became that. So it could be either from, from either organization. So the first person was um, uh, with the most votes from our, our, people, our group was uh, Dr. Heather Clark. And <clears throat> Dr. Heather Clark started here. She was the one that said, I want this church, I want this community to be in uh, centers for spiritual living. And so I thought it was very interesting, our legacy. I mean, here's our spiritual leader from Canada. Here's a person that now has a very thriving, wonderful work in, uh, in Southern California. And she's a, we had a nice talk. She's from, uh, originally from Saskatchewan, and, um, which is amazing. Have, have you ever met anybody nice from Saskatchewan? <laughs> I haven't met anybody who's not a wonderful person from Saskatchewan. So anyway, but she was so excited, and she's always been so happy and supportive of me being here. Um, and then uh, the second position was, uh, was, was uh, in the, for the ministers was taken by David, uh, David Alexander, who succeeded Mary Mann and Morrissey. And in, in, uh, if you know part of that legacy and if you've done Prosperity Plus, well, David came in, and he was the youth minister, and he's a wonderful young consciousness and very bright so he is the second, and then um, I was elected to the third position. I had the thir- most votes. So I want to thank you all for your support. Doing that. And the reason that I put my name forward, because I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I said, I want to be part of this conversation. I want to be part of the consciousness that sits at that table and hence, because when we start well, you've got a better chance of finishing well. And I, and I know I have enough experience and I have enough of a track record to understand what it takes, I believe, to start well and to have the commitment and the consciousness. And I didn't want it, to, and, and if I'm not going to be part of the, part of the solution, then I don't want to be part of the problem. And I didn't want to get back into silently bitching and complaining about things I wasn't happy with. It's like, you know what, either step up or shut up. And so I, just, I didn't know, because there were a lot of ministers who put their names forward. But it was exciting. It was an exciting time for organization to come together, to, to come together with our two groups. And so the amazing, talented lay people, amazing, talented practitioners. One of the practitioners that is, is on the leadership council uh, was actually with uh, Michael Beckwith at Agape for 10 years and helped him grow that community. Was actually the operations person. And uh, just some wonderful, wonderful bright lights. And, and the way the organization is set up now, I've been on the board before, it's night and day. It is, it is a new day 
for our movement and for what's happening. And the resources available and the, and the vision and the scope are just exciting. So there were, um, <clears throat> outside of leadership, there were six people that were asked to speak, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and I was one of the speakers. So there were six. I got one of the positions. It was quite an honor. And when we were in New Orleans, um, Mardi Gras was going on, which I, I, you know, I, I didn't quite understand because they were all wearing masks. All these guys on the, there's floats going by. They're like four, four parades every day, different crews. They call them crews, spelled K-R-E-W-E-S. And it's French. The first Mardi Gras was celebrated in, in the United States in 1699 on the, down in the swamps. They, a couple of French explorers came and we're going to have Mardi Gras. And Mardi Gras really means Fat Tuesday. And it's the celebration before you go into Lent. It's very Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Let's eat and drink to excess and then let's cut ourselves off cold turkey for the next. So, you know, it's like, let's do this and then let's go to this extreme. It's like, couldn't we just eat in moderation all year long, you know? Anyway, and, and so these parades would come by and they're throwing the beads and they're throwing the beads and I thought, this is so, and they're all wearing masks. And I'm like, what's with the mask? And it looked like the Ku Klux Klan to me. I got to tell you, it was like, I don't know if I like this. And so, it, but it turns out it's the mask is for the anonymity. And what it is is the old tradition going back to the Roman days, where because they had the guys in all this Roman gear and the big, you know, headdress. I'm like, I don't get this at all. But it's the idea of the 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 the, the rich giving to the poor. So we'd stand there. I mean, I had 70 pounds of beads in my hotel. I, I was giving beads away all the time. I I was catching beads around my neck without even raising my. <laughs> Ants, wing! They just come flying off the float. Um, I never once saw an exposed breast. I want to let you know that that's just a rumor. Of course, I was facing the floats as well, so I don't know what was going on because my their backs were to me. But they were throwing a lot of beads. Um, but so that was going on. There was that atmosphere. And while we were there, I I went on a tour of uh, of New Orleans. I went on that twice actually, and was very very interesting um, and we went through the ninth ward talking about purpose and, and what I think is we're called to do because we're a teaching that b- believes in the enriching of lives through spiritual awakening but uh, what I know and I want to share with you because as I was there and I was one of the speakers as I said and I had a whole different talk uh, lined up and I had shared with you bits and pieces of the play I saw in New York called The Mountaintop which is the story of Martin Luther King And what I talked about in my talk, I started to talk about what great leaders always talk about, which is the why. Why do we do this? Why are we an organization? Why are we here? And and it's not about us. um, There's a whole idea about earning, you know, this whole meritocracy. And that's an idea of that if I I behave a certain way, I'm going to uh, enter into heaven once I'm done in this incarnation. That's a very popular idea, that there's this, there's this, this, um, when we're judged that all of a sudden we earn our way somewhere. And it's an interesting idea, but all it is is just another idea. But it's a very interesting one, isn't it? That I'm going to be good because if I'm good, I'll be rewarded, rather than my divine nature is goodness. So I'll just live for my divine nature. And then what I do is I give unconditionally. I, I, because what it is, it's not about me. I'm, I, I'm not being good because I want to be rewarded. I'm being good because that's who I am. And it's, just the, it's, a, it's a shift, but it's huge. I just want to live for my goodness, because I can be bad. I can be nasty. I can be small. I can be judgmental. I can be critical. I can be, I can, I can be selfish. 
But I know for myself that when I operate that way, I'm not happy. And so when I went through the Ninth Ward, in the Ninth Ward, New Orleans, 80% of New Orleans, I didn't know any of this, but when you see it, it's quite compelling. 80% was underwater. They have a monument in the Ninth Ward. You, You drive over a bridge, there's a canal, and there's this old bridge, and you drive down into the Ninth Ward. It's all underwater. And that's where the levee broke, and it was completely flooded. And they have a monument there of different heights of the water. And the height of the, the top monument, and it's just, it's just these uh, about six or eight inch uh, metal tubes that are stuck in the ground. And then one goes up to 12 feet, and 12 feet's pretty much over the top of any house there. So that's when you saw in the news people sitting on the top of their house, and you could see where the water stopped because the, sh- the shingles hadn't deteriorated as much. And so there's a monument there, but it, it hasn't been rebuilt. They, they, you know, I thought Brad Pitt was down there building a house once a week. There's about, I don't know, maybe 25 homes where there were thousands of homes. It looks like it, there was some type of, it's just been devastated. And, I, 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 and Laura got very sick when we were there. So I went one day by myself and I told her, I said, you've got to see this. Because we went to all the nice places in New Orleans and then they took us down to the Ninth Ward. And it was just so sobering to see this. And I thought, being a dual citizen, we have spent trillions of dollars fighting a war in Iraq. And what would it take? Maybe, uh, you know, 500 billion or 100 million to build these little houses for these people? And what it spoke to me was about when, when it's, it's the inequity of resources. And, and we went on a, then I went on a plantation tour. Laura and I went on a plantation tour. And, and one of the plantations, the woman had written a, a, a diary. And I, I bought the documentary because I want to see it. I haven't watched it. But what they said on the tour was she was there when the Civil War happened, this young lady. And then she sold the plantation. It's called Laura Plantation. And what she said was the Civil War came and the Civil War left, but it never changed anything. She said the slaves were still slaves. What they would do then is they would just simply pay the slaves, but they would have a company store and they would owe more each year than they could pay because they weren't paying them enough. And so, and I, but it, it was important to, to abolish it. It was important to legally abolish it, but that didn't do it. It took a shift in consciousness and it took a shift in culture. But what you see the remnants are, are the people standing around, it's pretty much all poor people standing along and the people of some means are throwing these these worthless beads out as a, an act of generosity, which everybody's, you know, I, I, so it was this sort of party. But also, these people live in the Ninth Ward because they don't have. They live below water. And they didn't put the levy back and improve it. The government, the United States government said, just put it back the way it was. We're not going to fix it. We're not going to make it better. We're just going to put it back the way it was. And so I just thought, <clears throat> this just seems incongruent to me. And, you know, here's these people of very uh, meager means living there because it's cheap land, because nobody wants to live there. And, of course, people don't want to rebuild. Why would you want to rebuild? One guy rebuilt, and he's got a boat. He rebuilt. He's got a barge that he built on. So the water comes through. His, his house just floats up. I thought, there's a smart idea. Let's give everybody an old barge and build a house on the old barge. So at the um, conference... I had brought along a play um, that I, I talked about. When we were in New York with friends, we went and saw this, this play, The Mountaintop. And I bought a copy of the play. 
And I thought, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to use this in my talk. Because I talked about what great leaders talk about. Martin Luther King in 1963, in the summer of 1963, he called together a group of people in the mall in, in Washington. And 250,000 people showed up. That's where he did that I have a dream speech. He said, I have a dream. He didn't say, I have a plan. I have a dream. And he spoke to his dream. He spoke to the why. And he talked about what he saw as a possibility. And it wasn't all black people that showed up. 25% of that audience was white. And he instilled and he inspired people. Because what he talked about, he said, I believe. I believe this. I believe this. And what he was talking about, people already believed. He was speaking to the people that already shared his beliefs. I believe in a world that can work. I believe in a, in a world that my children can go to, we, our children can go to school together. Where it's possible all of the things that were not possible. But he said, I believe these things. And it touched the cord within people that they already believed. Because he was speaking of that divine truth. So at the end of this play, uh, the angel, this, wait, this uh, maid in the, in the motel, it's a two-character play. The maid is Camay. And Camay, uh, it turns out, he discovers she's an angel. And he said, I'm here to guide you because this is your last day. You're going to be assassinated tomorrow. And he said, no, I'm not ready. I don't want to go. And he said, no, it's time. You've done your work. It's time to pass the baton. And in it, he said, well, he finally resigns himself to this is it. You know, there's no arguing or manipulating my way out of this predicament. But he said, I'd like to see a vision of the future. What, what I started here, what we've started as a movement, I'd like to see a vision of the future. And so I shared this at the, at the uh, conference, and I'm going to share it with you right now. It's just a few pieces from the end of the play. I jump around a little bit. But as Camay touches his head, he has this vision, and she articulates what he's seeing. And it's interesting to listen to the chronology. And he talks about passing the baton which I'll, I'll expand on in a moment. But she begins, Memphis burning, D.C. burning, cities burning, Vietnam burning, coffins coming home, another Kennedy shot, and the baton passes on. Banyard Rustin, Stonewall Riots, Andrew Young, Julian Bond, Bob Marley, Redemption Songs, Angela Davis, Ashada Secure, Afro Picks, Black Raised Fist, Olympics, and the baton passes on. White children, black children, Crayola-colored children together in a cafeteria. Roots, the Jeffersons, Sidney Portier, Superfly, Isaac Hayes, James Brown, I'm black and I'm proud, Jesse for president, I am somebody. Crips, Bloods, Blue, Red, White, Crack, Smack, Marion Barry, Tracks, AIDS, Reagan wins again, the Berlin Wall falls, Apartheid falls, Robin Island sets Mandela free. Rodney King screams, can't we just get along? And the baton passes on. No peace in the Middle East. Ruby D, Spike Lee, Rwanda Bleeds, Nick, Bill Clinton, Skinheads, The Cosby Show, Baby Mama, Soul Train, Montel, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Run DMC, BET, MTV, Walk This Way, and the baton passes on. And on and on till the break of dawn. For the American song, We Shall Overcome. A white bronco flees into the night. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. James Byrd, Columbine, Ron Brown, Colin Powell, Clarence Thomas, Tupac, Oprah, Biggie. Crack corners from Crenshaw to Martin Luther King Boulevard. Saddam Hussein, Osama, George Bush, Condi Rice, The Towers Sigh, The World Turns Gray, September 11th, One Bright Morning Day. Katrina, Katrina, America as apple pie. Drove the, levee to, drove the Chevy to the levee, but the levee was drowned. 
the Super Bowl, drive-bys, McDonald's, diabetes, Iraq, NBA, high-paid slaves, the children of the Nile, a nuclear eight-mile, black picket fences, the Gen 6, American flags, and black presidents. And the baton passes on. So this is the vision he was given of what the, the seeds were planted. And, it's in, and I think it's important to note in all of our lives, as consciousness changes, consciousness already always precedes experience. And this is part of our legacy. We've been past the baton of consciousness. We've been past this baton of taking our... And knowing that we are the, we are the change makers. We're the people changing the world. We always have been. We get stuck sometimes. We forget, but none of us are stuck. The world is not static. And so as we do our work and as we give birth to the new consciousness that's seeking expression, what is our legacy? You know, I was listening to Martin play a song, and I thought, this man and Brian and Brown and Belle or Sue or whatever name she's going with right now, and, and Anna, these people are the soundtrack of my life. Who's the soundtrack of your life? I was watching Glenn Campbell on I, I recorded the... We always record Sunday morning because it's a wonderful magazine show of, of really interesting stuff. And Glenn Campbell was on there and he's on his last tour because he has Alzheimer's and his kids are playing with him. Anybody see that a couple weeks ago? Anyway, it's a wonderful story. And, and, and Glenn Campbell is someone that was, is part of the soundtrack of my life. The people... We have these, these banners up. In fact, there's, there's Martin Luther King right there. These are our heroes. I started writing a, a new story on a, on a book I'm working on, and John Lennon, and someone gave me this beautiful quote. It was a random, uh, a random experience, but someone gave me this beautiful quote that John Lennon uh, wrote about. He said when he was five years old, his mother said, that John, the purpose of life is to be happy. To always work to be happy. And he went to school, and, and the teacher said, John, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be happy. And she said, well, you don't understand the question. And here he is, five years old. He looked at her and said, no, you don't understand life. <laughs> I love that. You know, that's the agreement I have with Laura. If it stops being fun, we're not doing it anymore. We were coming home, and, and uh, she got really sick, and, and she had this horrible head cold. I found out about half the ministers there got sick. And she's been carrying a really big load over the last several months here, and it, she just crashed. You know how that happens? Because I'll tell you what, for the first six minister conferences I went to, I was working a full-time job and doing church full-time, and I was exhausted. I never had a day off. Seven years, I never had a day off. And I wasn't making a whole lot of money doing ministry. And every time I went to the minister's conference, i just get sick. And then I'd be embarrassed because I'm around all these metaphysicians, and it's like I'm too embarrassed to tell them. It would have been okay if I told them I was dying. I'll be dead another day. But don't get sick. I, but, but when we, I want to interject this, and then I'll get back to the, this, this, this idea of consciousness and the legacy and the baton. So we got to, we flew from New Orleans. To, it's so easy to fly to Edmonton. Has anybody noticed that? It's so easy to get to Edmonton. But I'm working on that. I'm forgiving that in my consciousness right now. But we had to fly to Houston, which is about an hour. So you take off and you land. And she had this horrible head cold, and she was coughing like crazy. And then we had to fly from Houston to Los Angeles. And by the time we got to Los Angeles, he said, I can't get back on another plane. And so I got off, and I'm kind of in a, you know, you're, I, so I'm in the fear mode. You go into that, that uh, reptilian brain where you want to protect, and you're, you know, you're on hyperdiligence. And I said, stop it, man. You've got to settle down and think. 
So I just got out, I got off the plane and I stood there. I put her on a, on a bench. My cell phone was dead. I walked over to a guy in a red jacket. I said, is there any way I can plug my phone in? He goes, sure, what do you need? And he was, offered me his phone. I said, well, I've got to call someone. And he said, who are you got to call? I said, I don't know right now, but I know I've got to call somebody. And as I relaxed, I realized, you know what, I should call Leslie Paul. And Leslie's one of our members, and she's a board member, and she's a travel agent in town. I said, Leslie will help me out, because there was a five-hour layover in, in Los Angeles. So I called Leslie. She said, you have two hours to change your flight on WestJet, or you lose the ticket. I said, great. So I have three hours now to figure out what I can do with Laura. And her mom happens to live 20 minutes from the airport. So I threw her in a cab, took her over there, got her in bed, because she hadn't slept. I mean, we were on the 41st floor. There are parades till 2 every morning. So she slept maybe three hours every day. She was exhausted, and that was part of the problem, too. So I got her in bed, and then I, I switched her ticket, and I got back in a cab, and I came home because Diane and I had to get the programs ready for Sunday. So, um, but I thought about that, and I thought, you know, it wasn't until I finally calmed down that I could think, but I knew I had to call somebody, and I, I wanted some coaching, and I told Leslie, thank you. You gave me the next door to walk through. That's all I needed was the next door to walk through. You got a window of time, get it done. I said, great. And she got home, uh, she came home a couple days later. She saw a doctor in Los Angeles and got up some uh, spray for her ears because her ears were just, she thought she'd popped an eardrum because it was so painful. But, you know, when you have spiritual practice in your life and things show up and you understand, one of the things I love about our teaching is that we don't have to know everything, but something within us does know. You know, when, when Martin or, or Brian writes a song, they don't know where the song comes from, or Anna. You know, Rumi used to circle around a, a, a pole and recite his poetry. And it would just flow out of him. But there's this divine relationship to be in, and when we're in it, anything's possible. And so I'm watching this Ninth Ward, and I'm thinking, you know, what, what is a movement? Because it's wonderful to come and, and, and connect spiritually. I think we have to do that practice. I have to do the practice every day or I forget. I have to do my spiritual practice every day. But then what are we called to do as a movement? And I, wanna, I wanted to be at that table, that leadership council table, and say, what can we do as a movement? Because I got done doing this talk, and one of our black ministers from South Carolina that I know very well came up to me and said, i got to thank you. She said, I just got out of a diversity meeting with a group of people, and there is such anger with that group because they feel marginalized, even within our organization, which says that we honor the divinity within everyone and we support everyone. They feel, they feel separate from. And she said it was supposed to last an hour. It lasted five and a half hours. And I know as a movement what it, what, what, what it is calling to my heart, and I know for all of us, is... How do we make the world a better place? I was reading the newspaper the other day, and it said that, that the, the First Nations people in Canada, the young men have a better chance of going to prison than graduating from college. And I thought, isn't this interesting? You know, what is it? How do we shift resources? How do we, how do we help support that? And, and part of that is initiative. Part of that is coaching. But when you see those pro I see those problems, and I think, isn't it an inter interesting thing? Part of it is, I know it's, there's many, it's complex. You know, why do the people who live in the Ninth Ward, we can spend trillions of dollars on a war, but they can't get their homes back. And they can't even put a levy back in that'll hold it if it should happen again. And it's all choices. So we are the ones, and I'm not saying we've got to fix it all. When I was talking to Lawrence Tolliver, who was also, I was on the board with him and is a member of Claire's Church in, in uh, South Carolina. And Lawrence is a good friend of mine, and we were having lunch. 
And he said, we are too isolary as a movement. And I said, well, how do we change that? He said, watch this. And this lovely girl that was serving lunch, he came up and he said to her who he was, asked her her name. And then he started saying, what's your dream? What's your dream? And she just poured herself out. Working four jobs, trying to get through school, single mom. Want to, you know, want to teach one day. I want to be a teacher. Want to get my credit on and just poured herself out. And I thought, there's a way that we go out in the world and we, and, and you know, make cards up that say, we're, you know what, I'm here. I'm, a, I support your dream in the world. I'm a, I'm gonna, uh, I'm aligned with a spiritual community that supports the best possibility for everyone. I mean, we can do that. Maybe we can't quit our jobs. I'd love to, I see, I'd love us to be abundant enough so that we could all say, let's take a month off and go build homes somewhere, even in Alberta, that we all had enough prosperity in our lives. You know what? When I, I looked at the budget for the organization, this community of four or 500 committed individuals, we were responsible out of 130 churches for 10% of the budget, of the, of the, the giving. I was so proud of that. I just thought, you, and you need to know that. That's your support, your efforts, and we're making a difference in the world. This is an amazing, amazing community and a generous community. And, and I've, I've committed. I started doing the co-creation process. I want to learn that better. That's the thing we're going to be doing on Wednesday night. If you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet. About 20 people would be about all we can handle. But it's about a deep spiritual practice. It's part of my homework because I want to stand in that consciousness. You know the first question they asked me when I, I said, I want, to, I want to go through this training? The first question, they said, are you a tither? Are you a tither? I said, Yep. And is your community tithing? I said, yep, we are. I had no hesitation. Actually, I said, you know what? I don't believe in tithing. That's 10%. I haven't tipped a waiter 10% in the last 20 years. That's just tips. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in well beyond 10%. But the point is, is that as we nurture that consciousness here, I, resources allow us to do more. Resources allow us to have a bigger impact in the world. And it's not all about the money. It's not forcing anybody. If you disagree with me, I honor. I, I met with somebody a couple weeks ago. I said, I don't believe in tithing. I said, tell me more. Well, I don't believe in this and this and this. And you're forcing me to give. I said, I'm not forcing anybody to give. If you feel that way, don't give. This is an invitation to step up in the world and make a difference. Let's use our resources wisely and wonderfully. We've got an exciting year planned. But I want to be part of this. I'm here. I'm here to give the best I have as long as I can. When I read the newspaper and I see things, I watch my own children struggle. I watch the, and I watch that thing happen in the ninth ward. I know that things are going on in the world. It's just like, to me, it's a call to prayer. It's a call to continue to do the work so that we make a difference in the world. We are here to share our gifts. And all that legacy of the things, those incidents that I read to you from Martin Luther King's vision, he continues at the end of it. He says, what vision is I see before me? Could this be my wildest dream? This is after she's named all these things up to the black president. He said, there it is, a land where hunger is no more, where war is no more, where, where, where land, a land where richness is no more, poverty is no more, color is no more, destruction is no more, only love, fierce, radical love. He says, I have spent many years walking through the desert of life, met oasis after oasis, only to bend my tongue to the waters of justice, and have it all disappear before my thirst is quenched. He said, I give to you this baton I shall no longer carry because you are the climbers. We're the climbers. 
the new carriers of the cross. And I beg you, implore you, don't give in and don't toss it off. On this here mountaintop, there's a beauty to behold. He says, America, I would say the world. My world is black, red, white, blue, brown, and gold. And he talked about the promised land. He talked about the why. He talked about the possibility of the vision. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the ninth quarter, we're talking about our own lives. Wherever we live in limitation, we're not, we're not expressing what wants to be expressed. You have gifts and skills and talents that make a huge difference in this world. You are part of that movement. You are the, the change, agents of change, whether you believe it or not, whether you feel stuck or not. You wouldn't be sitting here right now if that weren't alive for you. And I know that's true. We are a community. You can come, you can go on the podcast and you can listen to this talk. And that's just information. We come together in community because th- this music brings us to life and, our, and one another brings us to life. And we can't have that experience at home sitting there. But it's artistry and it's beauty and it's freedom and it's creativity. And when we live in fear, we can't express that. Just like me getting off the plane and I'm spinning trying to figure out somebody that I love is suffering. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I said, stop it. Settle down and think. My stopping it, taking myself out of panic was not a sign that I didn't care. It was having enough spiritual practice in my life to realize the way I can be the most effective in the world is not spin in the story, but to step back and think from a different level of thinking. And that's this gift this teaching gives us. And it's powerful and wonderful. So this week as you go out, I'm going to make something up that we can, we can hand out to people. When there's an opportunity to ask somebody what their dream is. What's your dream? I love that. I see that for you. Talked to my daughter last night. She's still 28 years old, still trying to find her way. She said, Dad, will you be my mentor? I said, sure. She's telling me all the stuff she's doing. And I spin into the, oh my gosh, I can't, oh my God. And what I have to do is pull myself back to that other part of thinking and say, honey, you can do it. You can do it. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. There's, there's something there for you to, to, to capture and to experience. Because the rest of the world is spinning in, in the fear and the anxiety, the lack and the limitation. Just, just read a newspaper. Just watch a news program. I watch, I read them all, and I watch them all because I want my consciousness involved with it and say, this doesn't stand. I don't stand for this. This is a call for prayer. This is a call for a new idea. And so I thank you for your support. I'm, I'm so proud to be part of this movement, to be, to, to be part of such a generous community that is, is promoting and supporting not just this local community, but the movement in the world. And, and that's alive for us and for so many people. And so it is.